When you're hungry, do you sit around suffering or do you go out and find some food? Most people will kick into action if they need something or want something. So what's holding you back from kicking into action when it comes to your own faith? Hey everyone, it's Karen G from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You can listen to this podcast every week on your dog walk, on your morning commute, or just while you're making dinner. And we hope it will help you figure out your next steps on your own personal faith journey. Today's message is all about how to feed your faith when you really need it. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's so great to be with you this morning on this holiday weekend. I hope that you have sand in your feet somewhere and you're watching with a warm summer breeze. Get squeezing that last little bit of summer out as much as you can, especially after all the rain that we just had. Oh my goodness, it's been crazy. But hope you're enjoying yourselves this weekend. And today I want to talk with you, before we jump into our next sermon series, I want to talk to you about, I think, something that's at the beating heart of what it means to follow Jesus. For me, this really kind of came to the surface when I was a young Christian, and I was in a church where I wasn't feeling particularly inspired. And I went to church, I brought a friend to church that day, and Somewhere, it was either in the middle of the service or after the service, I turned to my friend and I said, you know, I'm just not being fed here, right? It's, it's not doing it for me. And I don't know if I was reacting to the message or something else. I really don't remember. But I remember saying to him, yeah, I'm not feeling fed here. You ever, you ever feel that or ever say that? that? Yeah, I'm not being fed. And maybe some of you experienced that and it landed you here at Tower Hill or, or here with us at least online. And... Or maybe you've heard other people say things like that. And it's usually when you feel like you're kind of stagnant in your spiritual growth and you feel like, well, I'm no longer being fed in the way that's causing me to grow. And so I said this, I'm not really being fed here. And he turns to me and he looks at me dead serious and he says, are you a baby? What? No. <laughs> you know, like trying not to be offended. And, and I was like, what? Wait, what? He goes, are you a baby? I said, no. He said, then pick up a fork and learn to feed yourself. Ouch. It's kind of harsh. And uh, I didn't know what to make of that. I, I think he was trying to help me, but it sounded really confrontational. And the point that he was making, he said, look, when it comes to our spiritual growth, like the people who need to be fed are babies. But when you grow and you're mature in your following of Jesus, you've got to learn to do some self-feeding. And I think this is different, right? Sometimes you're at a church and you need a you need a change of scenery, you need something new, you need to learn from a different teacher, or maybe you're in a position where you don't feel like you're aligned with a church. So it's it doesn't make kind of church shopping and church hopping a sin or anything like that. But there was something that I learned through my friend's maybe harsh but helpful words that day, and that was... I'm not going to grow, you're not going to grow, we're not going to grow until we own our spiritual growth. 
right? It's like, if you're not being fed, pick up a fork, man. The Bible's right in front of you. It's time to learn how to self-feed. We can't just be in this position where we're constantly hoping, oh, we're waiting for, expecting for the pastor to feed us or someone else in the church or the church community to feed us. Like we just open our mouths like baby birds and just get fed. Um, is that after a while, like, no, 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 we got to learn how to do this for ourselves. It's like that old proverb that, you know, we've all, it gets used all the time. But if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. I think there's kind of something true about that in our own personal relationship with God, our own growth when it comes to um, following Jesus. And so I think a misconception is that the answer to spiritual growth is, I just need more information. So uh, sign me up for five Bible studies and, you know, I'm going to do a uh, a, a reading plan, and I'm just going to get, it's all about the information. I don't know enough content. And while content is good, obviously, in information, we want to learn about uh, Jesus. Information alone, strangely enough, is not going to bring you closer to God. It's not going to bring you closer to God because information alone is not designed to do that. It's designed to assist you, but really the issue is about your heart. It's about relationship. It's kind of like, I remember calculus. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I remember calculus. You know, I got an A in calculus. And I, to this day, I don't know why. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew how to memorize the formulas and plug them in <laughs> to what I was supposed to, but I remembered nothing. I just remember it had to do with finding the area under a curve. That's it. But I had all the information in the world. I sat in class. I had all the information at my disposal. I had my textbook. I had all of that. But what I really needed was a friend, and I had a friend in that class who did a great job of explaining to me, of showing me how to do the different operations so I could get the right answer. It took somebody uh, investing in me relationally to show me how the information works. I feel like there's a strange parallel between that and our growth of faith, is that we need Jesus, we need a relationship with God to show us how the information is supposed to work. A relationship is what brings you closer to God, not just information. So why do we struggle sometimes with this idea of relationship? I know it's because we feel like we can't see God and it's just different than having a friendship, but you know there are many barriers to a relationship with God. But you know, one of the barriers that I see the most, and actually I've heard from all of you the most, is the barrier of legalism. Legalism. What's legalism? It's just what it sounds like. It's, well, if you don't obey the law, right, God's law, if you break the rules, you break the commandments, then you're disqualified. You do not get to be righteous before God unless you do these things right. And I've heard plenty of Christians who should know better live like this and teach like this and expect their kids to be like this. And people have run away from the church because of legalism. It doesn't mean the law doesn't matter. Of course it does. But it doesn't mean that, well, if I do this just right and this just right and this just right, then God's going to love me. You see, legalism says, I obey, therefore God loves me. And this is how the Pharisees thought. You know, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments, but if you count up all the different commands and decrees in the Old Testament, you get 613 commandments. And, And more than that, the over the centuries, the interpretations of rabbis and the midrash and all that... And you had to 
obey all of it in order to be righteous. But the Pharisees believed that you could. And they took great pride in believing that you could and that they could. They could be righteous if they just follow the law. For them, even, it was law over relationship, right? Law was most important. How do I know that? Well, think about what happens when Jesus comes along. They actually put him in the penalty box. They call him out for healing people on the Sabbath. Well, that's work. You're not allowed to do that. What are you talking about? He can't heal people on the Sabbath? That's ridiculous. Well, you get those kinds of things when you elevate the law over relationship. It's literally a stairway to heaven. Yeah, I said it. It's a stairway to heaven. There's a lady who... I can't sing too much or we'll get sued. But it's a stairway to heaven. It's this idea that, well, if I work my way up, work my way up, work my way up, then God's going to love me. I'm going to earn favor with God. And there are plenty of people in the Christian church who have led us to believe that that's the case. I know early on in my life, I definitely had some influences that were saying, like, if I listen to secular music or, you know, regular rock and roll music and all that, it was going to destroy my relationship with God. Paul, in his book to the Romans, I love this, he addresses this issue of legalism because it was a real problem that Jesus was trying to correct. I mean, think about all the time Jesus spent trying to correct the Pharisees and their idea of legalism. And Paul's perspective is this, is that sin isn't a problem you can completely overcome by trying harder. Now, sometimes, you know, you might, let's say that you have an addiction and it's become a sin in your life. You could go to a, uh, a program, a 12-step program, and you can avoid that particular sin based on behavior. But what Paul was trying to say, it's You can do that, but it's not really about behavior. It's about something that goes much deeper. In other words, the sin problem isn't something that just gets corrected by good legalism. The sin problem is part of the very fabric of who we are because of the fall, because of what happened to humanity after the Garden of Eden. It said the sin problem is much worse than you think. Here's how he says it in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, the law is saying like, this is what qualifies as God's goodness. And none of you measure up. So you you all fail when it comes to your ability to obey the law perfectly. Therefore, he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Two really important concepts there. The first is that you can't be declared righteous based on you believing that you've adhered to the law. Because deep down, there is sin going on in your motivations. There's sin going on that you're not acknowledging that the law just simply isn't able to cover. That was never the intent of the law, he argues. He said the the law's intent is so that we become aware of sin so we know we have a sin problem that needs forgiving. It's sort of like, I've used this illustration before, if you have a pitcher of pure water and you add a couple of drops of black ink to it, what happens? Does the black ink just sort of stay in its own little part of the water and if you just scoop it out, then the rest of the water is good? No, it contaminates the entire container, the entire pitcher of water, becomes grayish, 
because of just a few drops of ink. And he says, that's kind of like the sin problem that we have in our hearts, that it's poisoned the well. It's contaminated the water. The problem isn't a particular behavior. It's your heart. No one is righteous by themselves. In other words, the law won't take the ink out of the water. You need new water. What the law does, it helps you to know that the water needs changing, helps you to know that the ink is there. So uh, what's the difference between the law and relationship? It's sort of like, um, let's say I get married and somebody asks me, do you love your wife? And I say, well, I didn't cheat on her. That's not exactly the same thing as loving my wife. Obeying the law isn't the same thing as a loving relationship. Now, hopefully, in a loving relationship, I'm obeying the law. But you see, you don't get there by just obeying the, the law isn't the same thing as love. So obeying the law comes as a, as a result of love. I love my wife, therefore I don't want to cheat on her. You see the difference? So this is the argument that Paul is making, and he gets to this point, and this is, this is how I think this helps us understand how to own our spiritual growth and how to why we should want to grow. It's because of the relationship with God. He continues, verse 21, but now apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. As a little aside, there's an interesting thing going on here in the Greek language. Um, as, As I always say, you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to take Greek class in order to understand the Bible. But there are always little, little things that you discover through the original language that I think are worth noting. And it's this phrase, through through faith in Jesus Christ. That word in, as it's uh, translated in the Greek, it can be either an objective or a subjective genitive. What's that mean? Basically, it just means it can be translated of or in. In other words, it could say, this righteousness is given through faith of Jesus Christ to all who believe, Or this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's an interesting idea to think about, that somehow the righteousness of God is given to us through the faith of Jesus Christ. Like, we don't have the faith enough. It's the faith that Jesus displayed that that acts as our faith. You know, when we come to faith in him, we're attributed that faith or our faith in Jesus Christ. I just think it's a really interesting idea to think about. And what's interesting too is that it was always translated or often translated of before Martin Luther came along and really pushed for a translation of in. So really interesting. But what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is righteousness isn't something we do. It's something God gives through faith. It's new water. He empties out the sin-tainted water and gives us life. And there's all sorts of images of this, right? Jesus is what? The living water, the flowing water, the new water that we need. He goes on, verse 22, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Grace, there it is. I think what Paul helps us to remember is this, is that sin is worse than you think. It goes deeper than just your behaviors. But grace 
is way better than you imagined. Grace is deeper than all of it. The free gift of God. And so I think taking a heart step toward God is about understanding that God's grace is deeper and wider than we can conceive. Legalism says, I obey, therefore God loves me. Grace says, God loves me, therefore I obey. I love my wife, therefore I don't cheat on her, right? It's not about legalism, it's about love and gratitude. Let's say you're swimming somewhere and uh, it's, it's rough seas and a lifeguard or somebody else jumps in to save you, risking their own life in the process. And afterwards, how would you feel toward that person that saved you? How would you feel? You would feel so indebted and so grateful. You'd probably be thinking, I just want to make my life matter in order to honor you. Like, I want to take advantage of the fact that you saved me and what you laid on the line for me. Or, or what if somebody sacrificed their life in order to save you? Then you would, the rest of your life, you would memorialize them. You would honor them. You would try to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that they made. It's about love and gratitude. That's how we own our spiritual growth. It's because we are so grateful for, God, for God's grace, we want to honor him. We want to become self-feeding. We want to learn all of the ways of Jesus. We don't want to wait for someone to hand them to him, to us. We want to take our own initiative. Why? Because we love him. We're so grateful for what God has done. So I want to ask you this this morning on this holiday weekend. Maybe it's a little too deep for a holiday. I don't know. But I think it's an important question to ask. How can you own your spiritual growth? Is there a way that you could do that more? As we enter this next season of our lives, you know, school starting, life kind of picking up here in the fall in a different kind of way, changing of the seasons, what would it look like for you to own your spiritual growth a little bit more? What would it look like for, what does it mean to you when I say, get a fork and dig in? What comes to your mind? Maybe it's, hey, you know, I've been, I've been putting off being part of a small group, and so this October, I'm going to jump into one of those groups, and I'm going to really make an effort. I want to own my spiritual growth. Or maybe it's, you know, we just did the five things series, practical teaching. I need practical teaching. I need to cultivate private disciplines. Or I'm in a pivotal circumstance. Or, or hopefully there's a providential relationship uh, that's going to help me to grow my faith. But whatever it is, how can I make myself more open, more available? Or how can I allow my life to honor the one who saved me more? Understanding I never deserved it in the first place. How can I understand that God's grace is so much deeper and therefore so is my desire to follow? May that be all of us as we go into this next week and this next season. May God be with you. May you feel his presence and may you decide, hey, I'm going to dig in. Amen. Amen.